When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mystery thriller readers, this one's for you. We are giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and many more. Just go to bookriot.com slash best mysteries to enter to win. And don't forget to leave your lights on. That's bookriot.com slash best mysteries. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 225, and today we are talking about books being released on September 10th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hey there. I'm so so excited to talk about books. Oh, it's fall, and there are so many to choose from. So many. I would say there are a plethora. Of books to choose so from. So many. An abundance. Yeah. Um, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I just, like, I have to close my eyes and point because I can't decide, like, which ones I'm going to read next. Mm-hmm. You because know, you run out of time eventually. So I'm like, right. which one? I don't know which one to choose. There's always, like, the, <laughs> there's also, like, the cat selection where, like, you put them down on the floor and whichever one the cat sniffs first, like, you go with that one. I've I've <laughs> used that option a lot, too. Um, this is how I make my important decisions. <laughs> it seems, it seems, you know, it seems fine. Yeah. Like, I see the logic in it. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. Um, so, we have some exciting books to talk about today. Uh, you are going to kick it off. Uh, first I, with our first sponsor, and then yeah. with our first book. So, our first sponsor is HMH Books and Media, publishers of the years that matter most, How College Makes or Break Us, but if Paul Tuff, uh, he is the best-selling author of How Children Succeed, and he returns with a powerful, mind-changing inquiry into higher education in the United States. The book reveals how, in recent years, the country's most selective colleges and universities have been steadily admitting more and more very wealthy students and fewer and fewer poor and working-class ones, all while trying to convince the public that the opposite is happening. Endowments at the most selective colleges are up, and at the same time, enrollment of poor and working-class students is down. This book goes behind the scenes in college admissions offices to show how competition for tuition dollars leads to colleges to admit affluent students they would rather turn down and then offer them incredibly huge discounts and aid packages in order to land them. How competition for tuition dollars leads colleges to admit... Rich students, they would rather turn down. Uh, the book describes groundbreaking efforts to take place across the country to guide students cont- conscientiously through the admissions process and into college and then keep them on track for success once they arrive. Um, Ira Glass, host of This American Life, says, Gorgeously reported, vividly written, utterly lucid, Paul Tuff jumps skillfully between deeply engaging personal narratives and the bigger truths of higher education. Thanks to HMH Books and Media, publishers of The Years That Matter Most, How College Makes or Breaks Us by Paul Tuff. All right. You 
are going to tell us about your first book. We're going to change things up a little bit here today. Yeah, I am so excited about this book. It came out last week, but uh, nobody talked about it. And because I loved it so, so much, I am talking about it. And that is We Speak in Storms by Natalie Lund. And uh, the book starts in a small town called Mercer, Illinois, where 50 years ago, there was this devastating tornado that took the lives of dozens of teenagers who were out uh, as teenagers were wanting to do uh, at a movie theater. And so on the anniversary of the 50-year tragedy, uh, a tornado touches down in the same place, stirring up not just memories of the tragedy, but also all kinds of ghosts. And I mean that both figuratively and literally. Uh, The ghosts become close companions to current teens in this town, including Callie, who is... uh, experiencing the loss of her mother and much of her own stability to her mother's cancer. Uh, It follows Joshua, who is coming out as gay, who is fat, and who has a stepfather who doesn't accept him at all. And then to Brenna, who is struggling uh, after a breakup to reconcile her Latina heritage with her current life, uh, living with a single mother in a small town where she is just one of a few uh, people of color. So the story weaves all three voices. It's told through the three characters now. Um, And there's also the ghosts you speak through, sort of like a Greek chorus does. And it's a big, lush literary book that brings together three of my favorite things in any fiction I read, which is ghosts, tornadoes, and small towns. And it's based on a real event that happened in a town really close to where I live. And I think that anybody who lives in the heart of tornado country will connect deeply with this particular book. And that is We Speak in Storms by Natalie Lund. Okay. So buckle in, everyone, because <laughs> I have been waiting almost a year to talk about my first pick it is Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. I love this book so much. I know you've heard me mention it. I've talked about it on the internet 50 million times. And uh, I'm going to take a little bit longer today to talk about this book because I just, I'm, I love all the books that I read. I wish I could talk about them all for half an hour. I wish that even the books that I don't enjoy, that, that it's just me and other people enjoy them and everyone reads them and everyone's happy and authors are happy unless they're bad people and then, you know, they're on their own, but it, I just, I want to talk about this one for a while. It's amazing. So it's just this banana pants, goth, sci-fi, horror, necromancy, delicious novel that is so much fun. That's, that's like the real appeal is that it is a blast to read. I mean, I just was, I've read it six times now. Um, since it came out, I was like, oh, you know, I first read it a few months ago and then I realized, nope, it was before Christmas. So it's been waiting to talk about it. So let's get down to it. So there's Gideon Nav. She is 18. She has lived at the ninth house her whole life. She's an orphan. And the ninth house is the dark, like shadow cultist house where everything is gray and dim and there's skeleton servants and just lots of death all the time they paint their faces like with skeleton makeup and it's like like if you're a kid it's not really a super great place to grow up um if if you're like you're alone and you're not really into that plus the only kid that she has to play with her own age 
is Harrowhark Nunajesimus, who is the um, ninth house daughter. She's the reverend daughter of the ninth house, and she's also a bone witch, and she loves to torment Gideon. She calls her griddle and just makes her life miserable whenever she possibly can. And so that's what Gideon has going on for her life. Except she likes to play with swords, and she's really, really, really good at it. Like, she's the best. She's an amazing swordswoman. Um, so when the book opens, she's pretty much had enough of this planet. She's like, you know, Herark basically torments her, and she, she just can't take it anymore. She's like, she's going to do what she's going to do, but I'm, I'm leaving. Like, and she can't stop me. Except that she can. She, you know, Gideon makes plans to get a shuttle and get off the planet. And instead, you know, Harrow spoils her plans. Um, but she says to her, like, it's, it's, she needs her, which is like a new thing. You know, Harrow has never needed Gideon before. And she doesn't really enjoy that she needs her. But she tells Gideon that she has received... An invitation from the Emperor of the Houses. There are nine houses. That's why it's getting the ninth ninth house. And he has said that he's holding a competition at the first house. That's his house. And the heirs of all of the houses are invited to bring their cavaliers. All the heirs are necromancers. And they bring their cavaliers. And he's having this kind of, like, competition that nobody... Like, he doesn't explain what it is. But the winner of it gets immortality. Which is, like... It's a pretty good prize. So Harrow really, really, really wants to have an immortality. And she needs Gideon to come with her because she can't do it without her cavalier. Like, she needs a swordswoman. She's she's good with magic, but she can't fight with a sword. So Gideon's like, okay, well, I get to leave the ninth house and I get to stab people, potentially. Cool, I'm in. So they go, take their shuttle, go to the first house. And so they get to meet, like, all the other people from the other houses. Um, when they get there... The first house used to be, like, this really formidable, beautiful castle, and now it's, like, this crumbling, like, gray, broken plaster everywhere, just a total mess, like, uh, like a goth Howard Johnson, like, a pool and an atrium, and it's just, it's a mess, and it's, like, spooky. This is, like, a spooky-ass Westing game, basically, is what this turns into, and they're greeted by this little happy man named The Teacher, uh, and he's, he takes all the heirs and their cavaliers inside and explains to them, okay, here's how the game works. Um, there's something in the house that you have to figure out, and you're not allowed to open any doors that are locked without permission. Okay, bye! Basically, is like what he says. And so now they're kind of on their own. They are each given uh, an iron ring. So that's all they have to go on. So, and they don't really have like a time limit. So then the game begins, sort of. Um, Harrow goes off on her own and starts poking around the house to try and figure out like, what it is that they're supposed to solve or do. While Gideon walks around and kind of sizes up the competition, meets the other people from the other houses. Some of them are friendly. Some of them are very young. Um, there are these weird twins from the third house. Uh, there are these uh, twin, not, not twins, but teenagers uh, as well from the fourth house who torment uh, one of the guys from the fifth house, which makes me laugh really hard. Like, like Muir does this amazing thing where they're just kind of like, awful to him, but, like, the font when they speak to him is in, like, super, super tiny, tiny letters, just, like, really whiny and annoying, like they are, so it's, it makes it even better. Um, and some of them, like, the the uh, necromancer from the ninth house, not the, uh, not the ninth house, excuse me, the eighth house, is he doesn't talk to shadow cultists, like, so Gideon gets no help or any communication from him whatsoever. Um, and also, people want to fight her, because they've heard that, you know, she's great, 
And so, like, they want to, like, char- like try fighting her with swords, like, while, like, other people are trying to figure out what's going on with the competition. This is all, this all sounds like a lot, and it is. There's a lot going on, but it's amazing. And so after we kind of get a sense of, like, who each of the characters are and what the setup is, which is, like, not really much of anything as far as competition, just, like, something's in the house, figure it out, goodbye. So it turns into this crazy action-packed, like, horror adventure. And, like, I can't say much more without spoiling what goes on, but I will tell you that, like, there's some supernatural stuff in the house, and someone or something is out to get them. Uh, Is someone is going to start picking off some of the people who are competing, uh, and they don't know who it is, if it's one of them, if it's something in the house, and it's amazing. It's just so much fun. It's If it's not, like, being disgusting, it's being hilarious. Gideon is the greatest character. She is wildly sarcastic. She has a filthy mouth, but she also has, like, a, a moral compass, and she is very compassionate, even though she doesn't want to be, and she's she's incredible. Like, I just was laughing the whole time, uh, and then the ending was incredible. Like, it, this shouldn't really work as a book, I don't think. And it, that sounds like a weird thing to say. But <laughs> there's so much going on. So much dialogue. So much action and description of fights and battles and creatures that it, it's... I was I could see it vividly, and I was like, this is like a movie. And, and I can't believe like I can see all of this as if I'm just watching it right now like while I'm reading it. I mean, she does an amazing, amazing job describing everything going on. I mean, like, you can read a book and they can have, like, a car chase, and sometimes they can pull off a car chase in a book. But, like, this is, like, battle and fight after fight, and it's just incredible how she does it. Um, And it's... There's going to be two more. It's a trilogy. So I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm like, I need the second one right now um, because this is my new obsession. And I love the relationship between Gideon and Harrow, who I call Necrogena George, um, she's just mean, and they're awesome together, and I, I could go on and on and on. I, I don't even know how long I've been talking about this, but, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Like, I will say that, so I've been talking about it for many, many, many months now, and I've had several people say to me, this didn't sound like something I would enjoy. I don't normally read horror or sci-fi, but you talked about it so much, I picked it up, I got a galley, and I loved it. Like, so, cause I'm like, will everyone love this? Yes, no, yes, no. I think so. I don't know, but it's so much fun. So, so much fun. Um, I will say the character names are bonkers. And there is a pronunciation guide on, ta- on Tamsin Muir's Tumblr because they're bonkers. It's like Cornabeth and, uh, uh, I can't even think of any of the other ones right now because, of course, I'm trying to say Palomitas, Sextus, and and all kinds of. But of course, like Harrowhark, Nona Jessimus is is the hardest one. But I've been practicing, so um, I cannot say enough great things about this book. Um, it's like basically, it's like like I said, it's like the Western game for Goss. Like if Turtle Wexler grew up to be a lesbian swordswoman, um, and you know everything in in the building wanted to kill you, that's that's kind of like what this is. Um, it's just incredible. So please pick it up. So good. It's Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. I am going to go in a very different direction with the next <laughs> one. 
Um, my next pick is Stargazing by Jen Wong. Uh, this is a middle grade graphic novel, and it's another knockout from author and illustrator Jen Wong. Uh, so it's about a girl named Moon, who is this really confident and impulsive artistic girl who is unafraid to be herself, even if that means there are these rumors uh, that swirl about her being really weird. Um, and she also has this um, challenge of growing up in a home where uh, her mother can barely make ends meet. Uh, but the story is told through the perspective of Christine, who is sort of the polar opposite of Moon. And she is quiet and reserved. Christine is eager and willing to put her interests aside for other people's demands and uh, obligations. So when Moon's family moves next door to Christine's, they begin a friendship that starts off a little bit rocky, and it's one that Christine really agonizes over. Um, she wants to know if she can really be friends with someone like Moon. Um, she knows that Moon is this weird girl, but she's also really um, interested in befriending somebody who is as confident in herself uh, that she is. And and that confidence is is sort of the double-edged sword here in that Christine's also a little bit jealous that she can't be that way in her own life. Um, I found myself getting a little bit teary about this friendship because uh, this friendship between two Chinese-American girls who are from very, very different backgrounds because it just really reminded me of what those middle school friendships are like. Um, one of the girls is solidly middle class and has parents who expect a lot from her, and the other uh, is nearly homeless, and she has this really, really lenient mother. Um, so when one of the girls, it's Christine, does something really, really mean to Moon in an act of jealousy, we discover that something else is going on with Moon, and... It calls their entire friendship into question. I don't want to say what that thing is because it's really big and emotional and scary. Um, but it really puts their friendship to the test. And, and that's really what got me is sort of seeing this act of jealousy leading to bigger implications and how that forces Christine to sort of reevaluate the kind of friend she is right now and the kind of friend that she wants to be. Um, and I feel like Wang knocks it out of the park in her first middle grade graphic novel when it comes to friendship and how hard it is to, to make friends and stay friends in middle school. Uh, and that is Stargazing by Jen Wang. All right. I am going to tell you about our next sponsor before I get to my next book, which is good because I am so like, ramped up from talking about Gideon and the Ninth. <laughs> it's just, like, I was saying this to you earlier because when we were talking, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I sit in my <laughs> office all day, and I talk to my cats, and I talk to my boyfriend occasionally, and then when I get to talk to other people or talk on the podcast, I just get really excited to talk about books <laughs> and start going and going, and I start bubbling over like a heavily tattooed pot. So um, I just get so excited all the time. So first I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, it is Ritual. You've heard me talk about them before. I love them. They are a vitamin for women. Um, and, you know, everybody wants to be healthy. Well, most everyone wants to be healthy. People do things to try and be healthy. And, you know, it's hard. It, you, you're like, you do this, but you don't get enough of that. You do that, but you don't get enough of this. Like, and even when you try really hard to be healthy and you're like, you're eating kale and you're drinking smoothies... 
Like, it's still, sometimes you don't get all the essential nutrients that you need on a daily basis. Um, even, like, when you try really, really hard. So, you can check out Ritual, which is the obsessively researched vitamin for women, and they will give you those nutrients that you don't get enough from food. Um, and they are all clean and beautiful and easily absorbable, and you can look on, on their website. It's it's a gorgeous website. I mean, it's beautiful. Like, I didn't know people could take photos of powders and vitamins that made them look this amazing. Um, and they show you, like, where each of the ingredients comes from. It's pretty cool. And so they have these incredible ingredients with, like, no harmful additives. And you check, you can take two a day, and it gives you the nine nutrients that you need to support your health. Like, the nine most important, like, nutrients that you need. Um, I take them, I've mentioned before, like, they were a sponsor... A year or so ago now, I think, when they first started on the show, and I have since like uh, like purchased a subscription and I get them every month and I take them every day and I like it because they smell like mints, which I think we discovered last time <laughs> was not actually in the pill itself as I thought, but because they put this little tablet in the bottle that smells like mint. Um, so I get up and I take them every morning. And one of the great things about it is that you can take them whether or not you have eaten anything, um, which is great because I don't always remember to eat. And then I need to take my vitamins before, and then I would take them, and it would make my stomach really upset because I hadn't eaten, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's why I feel rotten. Um, so these you can take. You don't have to take them with food. It's really great. And you can choose, you know, like, um, you know, when in the day you want to take them. And it's just, it's a really amazing multivitamin. So it is traceable and transparent. So, like, for all of you people who like, obsessively look at what you're putting in your body, which is good for you because, you know, sometimes I'm like, wow, did I just eat that? Um, you know, all of Ritual's vitamins are vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free. Like, all of the ingredients are those things and all of their sources. So, and you can just see all of it right there, transparent, on the website. Um, and you can get it delivered, and the subscription is easy to start. Uh, you just start it, it's a dollar a day, and you get all the essential nutrients that your body needs delivered with no strings attached, and it's easy to snooze. So better health, you know, for you can happen that quickly. And right now, Ritual is offering listeners 10% off during your first three months. So visit ritual.com slash books to start your ritual today, and that's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash books. I guess I got excited about vitamins, too. <laughs> yeah, that's just me. Like I was like I met somebody the other day and they were like, "You are enthusiastic about everything." I was like, "Yep. That's me." That's a good way to be. It's not yeah. a bad thing. I didn't used to be like this, but it's like it's I think it's better this way. You mm -hmm. know, cuz if you just want to be bummed out about everything all the time, it's not going to get you anywhere. Um or it might, you know, you do you. Mm, it's fine. Um <laughs> so I am wildly enthusiastic about this next book. It is called Pet. It's by Akweke Amezi, and you might recognize their name. They wrote Freshwater, which came out last year, was nominated for a bunch of awards. It was really incredible. It wasn't a, a novel for adults. This is a novel. It's a young adult novel, um, and it is mind-blowing how amazing it is. I mean, I've talked to a few people who have read it, and we've just all been like, whoa. It's incredible. So it is set in a future in a town or a place, which is sort of like a utopia now. It's called Lucille. And the main character is Jam, a black transgender teen 
And she's, like, at the beginning gives you an idea of, like, how the world used to be filled with monsters. And monsters are gone now. The angels have come. And there's no more violence. There's no more police brutality. There's no more hate and racism. And the, the angels have just taken care of everything. You know, politics are clean. And the world is a lovely place now. Like, the monsters are gone. And it's, it's like, oh, this, and it's like, when she talks about it, it's like, it's, it was that easy, the way she describes how they take care of everything. You're like, oh yeah, that would be nice. Uh, And so she's, uh, like I said, she's a teenager. She, her best friend is named Redemption and she is uh, selectively mute. She signs mostly, but occasionally talks when she feels like it. Um, Her mother is a painter. And so at the beginning of the book, she goes home and she's watching her mother paint and she's painting this painting like 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 uh, um Jim has never seen before. It's like weird and lumpy and scary and she's completely transfixed by it and after her mother finishes the painting, Jim is walking around looking at it and she slips and falls on the painting and cuts her hand and with the magic of her blood, she makes the painting come to life. And a monster comes out of the painting, and its name is Pet. And it has, like, horns, smoke comes out of its mouth, and it smells all ashy and, like, fire. And it, it's, she's like, oh, boy. But they develop, like, this friendship. And Pet is there to let Jam know that evil still exists in the world. Pet is there to go find the monsters at... Redemption's house. Redemption is her friend. So the book is kind of about how children can see things. Sometimes like adults know what's going on when children don't know what's going on. Children know when things are going on before the adults do. Or like the adults aren't really paying attention or taking them seriously. And while they're supposed to be living in this utopia, like there's still things going on. And Pet is there to help Jam expose it. Um, because you can never tell what is going on from the outside, like in a, in a home or in a person's head. Um, and also, you know, kids reach a point, no matter what kind of parent you are, no matter what is going on, there are just sometimes kids reach a point where they don't feel like they can say things to their parents or that they can talk about certain things. So Pet is there to help Jam get rid of the monster at Redemption's house. So there is... Content warnings for discussion of child harm, sexual assault, um, racism. Uh, you know, it's it's very serious, but it's just such an imaginative book. I couldn't believe it. And like I said, I was reading it, and I was like, it's like they make everything seem so easy. Like the world could just be like this if we just stopped being stupid. Um, and it was really great to see a book where the trans characters' gender identity isn't the plot. And also, but, like, also they cover the importance of gender identity and race and, and, like I said, in ways that make you wonder why more people don't write about it like this or, you know, even, like, why we don't live like this in the world. It's so impressive, and I hope everyone reads it. It is called Pet. In case you can't tell what I'm saying because I talk fast and uh, and I have a funny main accent, it's Pet, like, P-E-T, like Pet. Um, and it's by Akweke Amezi. 
My next pick is one that also came out last week, but since it wasn't talked about, I'm talking about it because it's from one of my favorite authors, and that is Some Places More Than Others by Renee Watson. Uh, And the story follows a girl named Amara who wants nothing more than to go to New York City with her dad for her 12th birthday. She really wants to meet her family that lives there and get to know the places where her father grew up. But um, Amara's mother doesn't really want her daughter going. They live in uh, Portland, so it's a it's a long trip for her daughter to take. But a school assignment where Amara is asked to build this suitcase that gives insight into her heritage and family history is finally the catalyst that helps her mom come around to allowing Amara to go. Um, So it gives her the opportunity to go to New York City and meet her family and sort of discover her heritage. So this is a really, really smart book uh, about family. Amara's father hasn't talked with his father since she was born. And Amara sort of pieces together that her grandmother, her dad's mom, died the same day that she was born. And that's the same time that he stopped talking with his father. So she's convinced there's some kind of connection here. And um, Amara promises her mother that when she's on this trip, she will get her father to speak with her father and sort of figure out why they had this falling out And uh, this will become clear why they had the falling out, and we will see how she works to get them to communicate uh, as the story progresses. But in addition to being this awesome family story, it's also a love letter to Harlem. Um, It's about the history of art and writing and creativity in the black community, not only as it relates to Amara and her family, but to Harlem more broadly. Um, I love there were some really wonderful 12-year-old mishaps in this book. Um, And like as somebody who grew up in the suburbs, the first time I went to New York City or to Chicago by myself, I got lost. And so, like, this one thread, Amara decides that she wants to go on this trip by herself without telling anybody. She gets on the wrong train, and then her battery, her phone battery's dead, and so suddenly she's panicking. She's like, I don't know how I'm going to get back. Like, I don't know my way around here. And it just took me back to the first time that I got on the wrong bus in the city, and this was before cell phones because I'm of that age, and I was like, I don't know what to do, I don't know who to call, and uh, it was just, it was so perfectly 12 years old, and um, I loved loved those little moments of seeing her family just really, like, embrace her and, and who she is completely, even though they didn't know her particularly well. Um, Watson is a go-to author for me, and her new middle grade was really, really satisfying. She is so good at voice, and like I said, captures being 12 so, so well. And that is Some Places More Than Others by Renee Watson. All right. My last pick for today is A Song for a New Day by Sarah Pinsker, who is like my new author obsession for the year. I read um, Sooner or Later Everything Falls into the Sea, which I talked on the sh- about on the show a few months ago, the short stories. I am crazy about her writing. So glad that I discovered her. And this is a novel. It's a sort of cyberpunky dystopian novel set in the future. But, like, it's it's basically something that could actually happen. So it also is a little chilling. It's set in the future where public gatherings have been prohibited. 
Um, there have been a series of bombings at large public gatherings. And then uh, because of, you know, lack of vaccinations going on, uh, there's a terrible virus that breaks out and people are getting sick. So now public gatherings have been outlawed. So most people choose to stay inside and, like, never leave the house. So the internet and social media and home delivery are, like, more prevalent than ever. Um, and the one of the main characters of the book is, um, and I'm so like, I read the book and it didn't occur to me until I went to say it out loud uh, earlier when I was going over my notes. The, one of the main characters is named Loose Cannon, uh, L-U-C-E. <laughs> like I said, it didn't click until about half an hour ago. Uh, Loose Cannon. Uh, she is a musician, and she was like kind of riding this wave of this wave. She was kind of riding this wave of internet fame, uh, and like playing out, uh, and sort of like her star was rising until the government was like, no more public, no more public gatherings. Um, so like, no going to sport events, no um, concerts, you know, like nothing like that. Uh, and so now she's in a band, and they. You know, sort of, they travel around and play virtual concerts, um, and they, you know, talk about their stuff, like, on the radio and on the internet, but it doesn't hold the thrill of, you know, standing in front of, you know, 15,000 people who are cheering for you. Um, it doesn't really work that well for her. Uh, so she owns an illegal club where they still play music. You know, it's, like, on the hush-hush. Um, the other main character is a woman named Rosemary, uh, she is super excited about music, and she gets a job working for this virtual concert company. Um, but to, like, really get the experience, you know, you kind of, you, like, have to be there. And she's, like, so excited about music, she's, like, trying to find the best talent that she can for this company. Um, and she ends up meeting Luce, uh, because, you know, she's looking, she hears about this club, and, and she goes and meets her. Um, and it's sort of like, I don't know. It's, it's could it could possibly be you know the future, um, you know it's they're they're working now to like figure out like how to pull these concerts off without getting caught. It's kind of like pump up the volume of the future, um, you know like where they're like it's like outlawed but they're still doing it, um, and it's just a really fun dystopia, um, and and has two queer women as the main characters which is awesome, and it's about the power of music. You know, like, how much people love music and how important it is to them and how, like, being there, you know, does something for you. Like, I hate going to concerts. Um, I hate being out anywhere where I'm not reading a book. Um, but then when I get <laughs> there, you know, I'm like, why did I not want to do this? This is amazing. My skin has goosebumps. And I'm looking at the person that I love, like, with, like, nothing. There's no glass in between us. There's no computer in between us. Like, it's amazing. You know, it, it, there's nothing like live music. And it's also about how the government controls people with fear. It's about facing your fears. Uh, you know, some of the characters in the book are, like, socially awkward. They don't like being out in public. And then, you know, it's about how the government, you know, like, is it as bad as they're saying it is? Or are they just trying to control people? So it's a lot to think about. It's really smart. It's really fun. It's called A Song for a New Day, and it's by Sarah Pinsker. So my last pick is Unpregnant by Jenny Hendricks and Ted Kaplan. And uh, I'll preface this by saying I didn't realize it was possible for a book that is about a teen who is desperate to seek abortion but needs to cross several state lines to do so could be funny. 
but it is. This book is a total romp. Uh, so 17-year-old Veronica is pregnant. She doesn't want anybody to know about it because she attends this really conservative religious high school in Missouri where um, everyone knows she has a serious boyfriend and she also has this reputation as a straight-A, straight-laced, Ivy League-bound girl and like that is who she is. So when the pregnancy test she takes falls on the floor and lands in front of Bailey, who is the biggest loser in the school and happens to be Veronica's ex-best friend from middle school. Uh, suddenly, somebody knows Veronica's secret, and it's somebody who could use it against her really, really quickly. Uh, what ensues, though, is this riotous road trip uh, with Bailey and Veronica, where Bailey offers to drive desperate Veronica from Missouri to New Mexico to get an abortion over a single weekend. There are car accidents, there are strip club tricks, there are bad situations in a field full of cows, there are uh, giant ceramic dinosaurs and guard dogs, um, aliens, like it's just the most absurd road trip. Um, the the heavy issue at hand here, which is about access to abortion and the realities of um, how teens don't have the ability to do it without parental consent in many, many states, um, coupled with this boyfriend that Veronica has who purposefully got her pregnant in order to trap her in a relationship with him, um, they're really tempered with this laughter and this heartening story that is about Veronica coming to terms with how she treats other people and Bailey coming to terms with the fact that sometimes it's okay to open up to another person. Um, there's a really great friendship story that uh, plays into this as well. Uh, Hendrix and Kaplan, the authors, are television writers and the book has been optioned for film already and as I was reading it was really, really clear they have this great sense of timing and pacing and well-placed humor and I think that this book, if it ends up being adapted, will be one that is really, really good. Um, I was surprised by how much I love this one and just how fun a book about such a heavy topic could be without ever once belittling it or belittling readers and that is Unpregnant by Jenny Hendrix and Ted Kaplan. I haven't read it yet because you were reading it, um, or maybe you picked it recently. I can't remember. For some yeah. reason, I haven't gotten into it yet, but you basically said everything that I've heard everyone else say. Like, I did not expect to find this so entertaining, Yeah, and it really surprised me, and so I can't wait to read it. Um, it, cause yeah. it just, it sounds really great. So it, it was like, it was a very last minute pick because, um, I was going to talk about the Malcolm Gladwell book, which is out this week too. Um, I liked it and I thought it said a lot of really, really interesting things, but a lot of the reviews and a lot of the media about it have sort of been misleading. I think about what the book is really about and, um, it would have taken way too much time to explain, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is just how his books are. It's one of those things that's like, you don't have to agree with what he says, but he gives you some things to think about that are really worthwhile in maybe not the cases he uses as examples, but in other cases. Mm -hmm. um, which I guess is like my fifth short book talk in that like, <laughs> if, if you could ignore some of the publicity and just go in with an open mind, like there are some good, good nuggets to take away in it. Awesome. Well, what are you going to read next? I am reading right now Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino, which I am obsessed with. She writes these beautifully thoughtful, huge 
essays that are cultural critiques and very just they give me so much to chew on and I've been reading them one at a time just to like savor them what about you? What are you reading? I just got my hands on a copy of In the Dream House, a memoir by Carmen Maria Mercado, which mm. everyone is raving about. Uh, she is the author of the story collection, Her Body and Other Parties, which was just phenomenal. Um, there are, like, every year, I swear, the memoirs get more amazing. And this one, I haven't started yet, but... Every, it's about um, a domestic abuse a situation that she was in uh, several years ago, and it's people are just like, it's jaw-dropping how good this is. Um, so I cannot wait to start it. And that is all for today. We made it through another show. We did. I, I waved my arms about, <laughs> about Gideon. I'm so excited about that book. Um, so if you would like to talk to us about books or anything else, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Reminder that I am doing an ask me anything show, uh, for all the backlist in a few weeks. So if you have a question for me, you want to ask me anything, uh, like I said, I won't give you my social security number, but pretty much anything else is on the table. Um, <laughs> you can do that also at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Uh, Kelly is on Twitter at... For, oh, you changed it! You changed your Twitter. Yes. Are you, are you still you're still on Twitter though, right? No, I have been off Twitter for almost a month. Oh, how's that going? That sounds amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so then you can find us on Instagram. Kelly is Hey Kelly Jensen, H E Y Kelly Jensen, and I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. reading.